Father, we pray for tonight, over this word, everybody's agreeing with me, Lord, I pray the Spirit of God, the anointing be so strong, Lord, the glory is so thick, and help us, Lord, that every person, within the sound of my voice, those that are going to be hearing this, those that are present, those that will hear this through the internet, through our website, through iTunes, however they hear it, wherever they're at, driving down the road, Lord, I pray that every person right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will be able to be captivated, to give you their, their best ear, their full attention, that our minds, by the Holy Spirit, will be locked in and focused and not distracted, but able to really understand what's being spoken. Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and our ears, help us have eyes and ears of the Spirit. How many times did the Word say, those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, help us have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, that the Word will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth and life, and they'll go out in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and families and ministries and that, that'll be watered by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. And those seeds of truth will be planted and take root and grow and begin to bring forth a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that your word will go out as light and dispel all the darkness and the lies and the deception of the evil one. Things that people believe that aren't true, that it'll just dispel that and bring revelation and truth. That your word, Lord, will be like a mighty hammer that breaks down strongholds. Strongholds are, are uh, you know, thoughts and, and belief systems that are against the word of God. That this, the hammer of God will break those down. That the sword of God will cut away what needs to go. And Lord, that there'll be a washing of the water of the word. Let your word go forth in great power, Lord, and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do around the world. We thank you for it and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we bind anything of the enemy that would try to steal the seed. As Jesus taught us that the birds of the air try to steal the seed, we bind that. You will not do it in Jesus' name. Release and back off. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it. Amen. All right, I'm dealing with the Antichrist and his ten kingdoms. And several other things, so we'll, as we go. How many of you guys are convinced we're living in the last days? <laughs> yeah. I think we'd have to all be blind to not see that. We are definitely living in the end of the age, as the Bible calls it. You know, think about it for a minute. If, you know, there was 2,000 years from the time Adam fell until Abraham. And then there was 2,000 years from the days of Abraham until Jesus died on the cross. And there's been almost 2,000 years. Now, given that our... our calendar may be a little off but think about it 2033 would be I mean according to our calendar if that's correct would be 2,000 years so we're really close has anybody thought about that we're really close from the time that Adam fell to Abraham 2,000 years when God found Abraham everything started changing right there and from the time of Abraham that instituted you know the nation of Israel coming into being and and the law and the prophets and everything God brought through Israel, when from the time of Abraham till Christ died and raised from the dead, again, everything really started changing right there. It was a major shift. And so we're, we're looking at coming upon the end of this age. So we're going to see some difficult, challenging times in the world. Okay, The Bible says that. But, you know, we're also going to see a bride being made ready for Christ's coming. You know? We're also going to see an incredible harvest of souls that the world has never really seen. Did you know there's been more people come to the Lord 
in the last hundred years than there has been in the last 2,000 years before that. And in, in Bonke's, uh, you know, during his time in Africa, think about the millions of people came to know the Lord just from his ministry alone. So I'm just saying, we're living in exciting times. You know, we, we need to, the, the way I began this series was be focused on the Lord and what he's doing, you know. We're talking about the Antichrist tonight, but my focus isn't on the rise of the Antichrist. My focus is on the coming of Jesus Christ and his, his soon appearing, his glorious appearing. And also, we're going to see a great revival in these last days. Think about this promise for a minute. I posted this one time. I don't know if everybody really took time to see it and, and really read over it. But, you know, we've, we've seen these blood moons, but it says that also in Joel that after these things, and it talks about the moon to blood and all that, the sun to darkness, but it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So that means all over the world, God's going to be pouring out his spirit all over the world. Okay, and he said your, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So there's going to be some kind of a major move of God that's going to hit young people. And we're seeing these things, really, but I'm telling you the best is yet to come with that. And then it also says your old men will dream dreams and young men see visions. So we're going to see a major outpouring of dreams and visions. Now think about it for a minute. How many Muslims are coming to Jesus because they had a dream or a vision of him? So these are exciting times. Amen? All right. So this is the, the end of this year is marking a Shemitah year that's coming to a close. Every seventh year is a Shemitah year. And we know that the last of the four blood moons will be this coming um, tabernacle, Sukkot, this year. So we know that this end of this year is going to be very significant. And there's going to be a real shift that's going on with Israel. I believe that Israel is being postured for war in the days to come. And the pattern has been, as I've already said many times, but the pattern has been when, when God has given Israel these four blood moons in 1948, was that through warfare, they took... Uh, let me say this real quick. There's been some major Bible prophecies that could only be fulfilled if God was involved supernaturally, okay? And God, for end time prophecy to take place, Israel had to be a nation. Jerusalem had to be under Jewish rule. And ultimately there has to be a temple built, okay? So those are three major prophecies that only by God's power will those three things even be able to happen. We know they became a nation, but it was against all odds. It was only a miracle from God that it happened. And we know that they took Jerusalem, but that was in 67. That was only a miracle of God that that happened. You understand? Now, whenever people look at, well, could the Jews build a temple? You hear people saying, well, there's no way. No, there's a way, but it's only going to be by God. It's going to be the hand of God intervening. And the two other times, in recent times anyway, that there's been these tetrad of blood moons on feast days, they, Israel became a nation and they took Jerusalem. So I suspect if the pattern is true and if, if this is the way that it is, I'm just speculating here, but probably through warfare, they're going to take more land and start looking at rebuilding their temple. 
That's probably what's coming in the near future. And with that said, <clears throat> I believe that the body of Christ is going to see a major, major revival. I don't feel like it's far off either. I've heard other people recently say the same thing, but I don't. I don't feel like we're looking at another decade. I think we're looking at it being before too long. We're going to see another major revival. So God just exploded in America in the 90s. Major move of God. We all knew, you know, Benny Hinn's ministry and Rodney Howard Brown really saw major moves of God in the early 90s. And then with uh, Toronto's influence, Brownsville and, and Smithton, and, and it was just a, a major revival time. And we're about to see it again, but we're going to see it on a much higher level, much more intense. So I'm excited for the days ahead. I know everybody's like, oh man, you know, things are going bad in the nation. But let me tell you, God has always showed up. Do, do a study on, on revival history. God has always shown up in the darkest of times. You know, when the nation of Wales, remember, the re whole reason they were praying for revivals because things had gotten so bad. And God showed up in great power. And the same thing with Hebrides. You know, things had gotten really bad in Hebrides. They started praying, and God came down and changed, changed that area really powerfully. So God has always come with great power in dark times. All right, so what we're looking at here today is the Antichrist and his ten kingdoms to come. Revelation 13, 1, the beast here is speaking of the Antichrist. So every time you hear the word beast, I want you to think Antichrist. In fact, I may use that, I may say Antichrist instead, just to make it more clear, okay? But it says that the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. So in biblical prophecy, when you look at large bodies of water, oceans, it's talking about the, the vast sea of humanity, if you will. So the devil was standing on the shore, so to speak, and he was looking out over the sea of humanity. And as the dragon, the devil stood there, there was a beast, speaking of the Antichrist, that came out of the sea. He came out of humanity. He's gonna be a human being. The Antichrist isn't gonna be a computer okay he, he's going to be a human being and it says that this beast had ten horns and seven heads and on his horns were ten diadems or ten crowns so horns in the Bible speak of power and heads speak of authority you can't help but think of Leviathan whenever you picture this beast okay there's a correlation there. All right, on his seven ugly heads, okay, were blasphemous names, and the beast, the Antichrist, which I saw, was like a leopard. That speaks of Greece. Remember this. When Daniel prophesied about the kingdoms to come in that statue, the leopard spoke of Greece. You guys remember me talking about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. This is significant. I'm going to get back into that a little bit tonight. This is speaking of the Grecian influence. And his feet were like those of a bear. The bear spoke of the Medo-Persian Empire. And his mouth was like a lion. The lion speaks of the uh, Babylonian Empire. And the dragon, who's the devil, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So what you got to understand is, is what, when Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he, well, he went to Eve and he deceived Eve and Adam was with her. And Adam 
gave in and ate the fruit, not trying to rabbit trail too much here, but Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what he was doing. So Eve was deceived, therefore she sinned, but Adam knew what he was doing, so it was a rebellion. And you become a slave to the one that you serve. And so when Adam, you know, obeyed the devil instead of God, he, he basically gave the devil his authority over the earth. Adam was created to rule and reign over the earth. He was created to be like a king over the earth, if you will. And whenever Adam obeyed the devil, he became a slave to the one he obeyed. He basically gave Satan his authority. And that's what we're dealing with here. When it says here, you remember when Satan appeared to Jesus and he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He said, because they were given to me and I can give them to whom I desire to give them to. And who gave the devil the kingdoms of the world? It was Adam. So what Satan is going to do here is he's got his little counterfeit Messiah, if you will. And he's going to give him his power, his throne, and his authority that he stole from Adam and has greatly perverted. Verse 3. <clears throat> I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, the Antichrist, who worshipped, and they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to wage war against him? There was given him a mouth to speak arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme God's name, his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given to him to make war against the saints and to overcome them and to over authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him all who dwelled on the earth will worship him and everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain if anyone has near to hear if anyone de is destined for captivity to captivity he goes if anyone to be killed by the sword to the sword he must or by the sword he must be killed here is um, here is the perseverance and faith of the saints so you're looking at very difficult, challenging times when the Antichrist starts coming to power. Okay. But he was given, he's given Satan's throne of authority. And the world, as I've mentioned many times through this series and other series I've done, um, the world, it says, will worship the dragon. So think about it. The world is progressively moving toward a place of openly worshiping Satan. Whether, however they go about doing that, I'm sure there's many different ways many different forms of doing that, many different ways it's going to look and appear, but ultimately they're worshiping Satan here. They worship the dragon, and they worshiped the Antichrist. They're going to worship him. He's a false messiah. In Daniel 2.31, this is where Daniel interpreted that statue, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. He said, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was fine gold. So I want you to picture with your mind as we read this, I want you to imagine a statue like this. He's seeing a big statue, and the head of the statue is gold. Then it says, the breast and the arms 
the chest area is silver. Then the belly and thighs, that's you're dealing with your stomach, the reproductive organs down to the thighs, that area was Greece. It's, sorry, it's bronze, but it represents the nation of Greece. And then its legs were iron. So gold, silver, bronze, legs of iron. And then down into the feet area, and the toes were partly iron, partly clay. So again, head of gold, chest of silver, the loin area, bronze, the legs are iron, and that iron never stopped. It never had a break. It went all the way down into the toes, and those ten toes were a mixture of iron and clay. And it says, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. That Jesus is referred to many times in scripture as, you know, a stone or a rock. Anyway, that's the coming of the Lord. Jesus, when he comes, it says that it struck the ten toes because that's going to be what's in power when he comes. But his coming is going to strike right at Satan's kingdom. And that whole statue is going to come crashing down before him. And when Jesus comes, he's coming to take over. And so what that statue represented was, during that day that Daniel lived, was the day of Babylon. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel in the lion's den. During those days when they were in Bab Babylonian captivity. So he was seeing the head of gold was Babylon. But after Babylon, there was the Medo-Persian Empire. Huge, massive empire. They were described as a bear in here. And it says that they came in and they defeated Babylon and they took over. They began to rule and reign. And you guys read about that because do you remember the story of Esther? How she was in the Persian Empire. Remember that? All right. Then after that came a king by the name of Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. And they swept in and they, they began to conquer the world of their time. And you guys remember that because you read about that during Hanukkah whenever that um, Antiochus Epiphanes was, was a crazy guy went in and tried to defile the temple and God raised up the Maccabees and defeated them but that was during that Grecian Empire time and right after the Greece Empire came Rome what happened was Alexander died it split to his four generals but anyway Rome came to power Rome is those two legs of iron and I believe what those two legs of iron speak of is the, what we would call the Western and the Eastern culture. Think about how different it is for a moment. Think about how the part of the world we live in, we have the Americas over into Europe, that this Western culture is one way. But when you start looking at the Eastern culture, it's a completely different culture, isn't it? And so I believe that the Romans of that time ruled what would be known as the Middle East, but they also ruled Europe. And I believe that's what those two legs represented was Eastern and Western. But that Roman Empire never, in this statue, if you can please get what I'm saying tonight, that Roman Empire never had a break. So <clears throat> you see from gold to silver, there's a definite break there. You see from silver to bronze, there's a definite break. 
and from the bronze to the, to the iron. But once that iron was set in place, it never stopped. When the stone, when Jesus comes and that stone strikes the bottom of that statue, those toes have iron in it. You see what I'm saying? So that iron has been going from the time of Jesus' day until now. But what happened was it went from being something that was a secular natural kingdom of Rome and it amalgamated itself under Constantine. Now it's a spiritual thing, but it is still there through the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church. And I believe that the Vatican will have a lot to do with the days to come as far as the false prophet and the rise of the Antichrist. I really do. All right, so here's probably what we're looking at. Y'all ready? The prince of Persia, remember me talking about this, is a very powerful ruling principality that is enthroned over the Middle East. Specifically, you know, ancient Persia is where we know today is Iran. Look at what's going on with Iran. Think about it for a minute. This is very significant because Iran is where ancient Persia was and that prince of Persia and the fact that they're trying to get nukes and they're very open to the fact that they want to destroy Israel. But I believe this, if everybody can follow me, I believe that when the false prophet starts coming to power, see, people look at this and go, well, how in the world would any type of a false prophet like a, a pope-like figure, somebody that is a religious leader, that's what the false prophet's gonna be, he's gonna be a religious leader. How in the world could he really truly bring some kind of a peace and unify religions? Because it seems like that there's no way to do that, especially with Islam. Two things to stay about, say about that. One is, is that the Pope has already been working for not just this Pope, but previous Popes have been working to unify religions already and they're finding common ground. But the second thing is this, you and I both know that <clears throat> these religions, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, you can look this up. The Bible says the worship of idolatry, the worship of idols is the worship of demons. Some people don't, not you guys, but some people out there don't read their Bible, don't know that's in the Bible. It is. So these people are not just worshiping some religion or some idol or whatever. There is a spirit behind that thing. And so they're under the influence of that spirit. When the false prophet comes to power, this, these same demonic forces that are stirring up terrorism within Islam and all of that are gonna be the same demonic forces that will begin to calm that down and turn their hearts toward the false prophet. It's not gonna be hard for him. Does everybody see what I'm saying? So all of these other religions out there that are worshiping other gods, those spiritual forces are begin, gonna begin to turn the hearts and minds of their followers toward the false prophet to listen to him. And when the false prophet comes to power, he's somehow going to have a great spiritual power and authority with the devil. So much so the Bible says he can call down fire from heaven and perform signs and wonders, okay? But these religions of the world that are out there are really going to look to him. And that is going to be the first move of Satan right there. And it's gonna look so good. 
See, if people don't know the Bible, they're going to be duped because it's going to look really good whenever people start laying down their arms and terrorism has subsided, isn't it? It's going to look like this person's from God. And the fact that he can perform miracles and he has so much spiritual authority over the masses, people are going to think he's truly from God. And that's the first move of Satan right there, this rise of this, this false prophet. And right now, this prince of Persia is stirring up terrorism and not only the east but the west and it's bringing chaos it's bringing fear it's bringing confusion and it's just stirring things up so that when this false prophet comes to power and he begins to to try to calm everything down all of a sudden everything does start calming down both the east and the west cultures are really going to look at him like he's somebody so this is the the harlots the bible speaks of it's going to be connected to what the prince of persia is doing right now is what i'm trying to get at the antichrist is more connected with the prince of greece but i don't want to go there yet so this prince of persia stirring this stuff up there's great animosity between religions isn't there there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of stuff going on and when the false prophet comes on the scene it's going to seem like everything is going to calm down and everybody's looking to him and there's some kind of common ground and so his rise to power is going to be the first move. That's the false church and the false prophet coming to power. That will pave the way now for the rise of the Antichrist. The false prophet is going to be more of a religious leader, but the, the Antichrist is going to be more of a political leader. Let me say that again. The false prophet is a religious leader like a pope but the the antichrist will be a political leader like a a president or some kind of prime minister type figure he's going to be a political figure so the prince of greece so you have to understand some of these things when when alexander the great came forward you know marching his armies forward they took over the world of their time that spirit of greece that prince of greece was actually a world-dominating spirit, very powerful. And Alexander the Great, if you do a study on his life, his mother was involved in witchcraft, but his father was a military general. And so before he would go to power, he would, um, you know, there would be some kind of a witchcraft ceremony where him and his men were, were praying to the, the soldiers of the dead, if you will, to emerge and to go to battle with them. So. He was calling up, summoning up spirits to empower his army. So what he was doing was he was mixing his father's brilliant uh, mind, his brilliant military mind with the powers of witchcraft. But he did conquer the world of that time. He was very young when he did it. And, you know, he, he conquered the entire world. So Greece was also the culture, like I read about Derek Prince's writings a few weeks back, that was able to reproduce itself and to you know the greek culture was the one that influenced the roman culture the roman culture was the one that influenced europe and europe has influenced america so our culture goes back to greece and i'm about to show you that here in a moment so the prince of greece is preparing the way for the rise of the antichrist so this makes sense so far about the prince of persia all right now let's look at the prince of greece and about the rise of the antichrist 
The Prince of Greece, Satan understands that the Eastern and Western cultures are so different that he needed to put two ruling spirits, okay? Because the Eastern culture is completely different than our Western culture. The Eastern culture is much more religious than our culture, isn't it? But here's some interesting things about the Prince of Greece's influence. I want you to think about it for a minute. Greece has not been, you know, any type of a nation, so to speak, of significance, like when Alexander the Great ruled in all of that for, for thousands of years. I know that it, it influenced Rome and Rome influenced Europe, but don't you find it odd? I'm going to give you some things here that will probably shock you. But don't you find it a bit odd that our higher education is so steeped in that Grecian culture? Let me give you an example. Why do fraternities have names that are Greek names? Think about it for a minute. See, the prince of Greece is very connected to the Antichrist spirit. I'm hoping that I'm going to do a good job explaining this. Lord, help me. The prince of Greece is a principality, but it works with that Antichrist spirit. They're, they're preparing the way for the actual Antichrist, okay? And they, they're playing on this Western culture. And what you find in so-called higher education, you find that there's a lot of college, university professors that are very, that Prince of Greece-minded, Antichrist-minded, where they're trying to um, attack the Bible, they're trying to attack God's existence. They're trying to attack Jesus Christ's existence or the fact that he is God in the flesh. They're really going at that, aren't they? So much so that, that you know, that movie God's Not Dead came out to specifically deal with that issue. But it's rampant that our higher educational system is very much that way. See, the Prince of Greece is trying to push this anti-Christ agenda. Agenda. It's anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ, anti-Bible. That agenda is trying to state that the Bible is not the word of God and it's full of error and all this stuff and it wants to get people to no longer believe and that you would be shocked at how many so-called Christians don't even believe anymore that the Bible's God's word. How many of you guys have seen that? I've been blown away. There's people, we were just in a meeting not that long ago where there was a, a friend of mine, a pastor was saying that his father got into a, a real debate because in the particular denomination, it was maybe Episcopal or something. Anyway, my wife was there. His, his father or grandfather was like an Episcopal priest or it was in, in one of those mainline denominations. But the person that oversaw him and oversaw the churches of that region did not believe that the Bible was God's word. And so he was in constant conflict with this guy about a lot of things. But that is that Prince of Greece Antichrist agenda that is so strong in universities. And it's interesting to me that you can even see in a physical sense that all these fraternities seem to have such a, an influence of the Grecian culture in naming themselves Greek names. Isn't that weird? Think about it. It's just like, for example, whenever you go into certain areas, my wife and I have done a little bit of traveling, you can go throughout America. 
How many of you guys have driven through several different places in the States? All right. How many of you guys have noticed that you can go into certain areas and it's like that specific area is totally different and all of a sudden it's like everything about that area is Native American and there's a certain, you know, demon god or something that they have pronounced everywhere. And it's like, what in the world's going on? I mean, an hour drive back, there was nothing like that, but you get here and it's plastered everywhere. Why? Because there's a spirit still there. The spiritual influence, it manifests itself in the natural. Now, I love, we have some wonderful people in our church, actually, that are involved in the medical field, and I'm very thankful, actually, for Christians that are in the medical field, and I thank God for that because we need them there. We need the Christians there that, you know, actually my wife's sister, I believe, works some with, but she's there when, when people die, and she's actually led many people to the Lord on their deathbed, literally. So I thank God for Christians, but the, the medical system is, let me just show you this right here, and you'll see what I mean. Did you know that for many, many, many years, that doctors, once they go through all that they have to go through with medical school, and then they go through all the training, all the internship, and they're ready, that when they take their Hippocratic Oath, did you know that this, you can look this up for yourself, this is the first line of the Hippocratic Oath. Now, granted, I think that they, that some Christians have, you know, tried to alter it where there's an alternate one now that you can use, but for many, many years, all these doctors had to say this. They said that they swore by Apollo, the physician, Asclepius, the surgeon, Hygieia, and Panacea, and called upon all the gods and goddesses to witness that they observe and keep this underwritten oath to the utmost of their power and judgment. What in the world? Does anybody else not think that's the weirdest thing? That, that's literally, you can look it up. That is the Hippocratic Oath. Now, I think that there's an alternate one now, but nonetheless, for all those years, doctors were swearing by Greek gods a Hippocratic Oath. I'm talking about the Prince of Greece. I'm talking about the Antichrist spirit working with it. And what do you see so rampant throughout most of the medical field is you see most people are very, um, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the Bible, and they don't believe in the supernatural. And they'll make somebody that does feel like they're stupid. You know, somebody will go in there and have a problem and the doctor will give them their absolute worst case scenario, you will probably die within six months, right? And so the person says, well, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is gonna heal me. And they just look at him like, you're the dumbest person in here today, you know? It's a prince of Greece. It's an antichrist, anti-God, anti-Bible spirit that has found its way very strongly into our higher education and into the medical field. Now, here's another thing about the medical field where it says Asclepius the surgeon. Did you know that the medical insignia that has that, that rod right there and those two serpents wrapped around it, that there was a Greek God by the name of Asclepius that was supposedly a healer and if he took his rod and he was nice enough to touch you with his rod that you would be healed and they're calling upon him to be the surgeon 
You hear what I'm saying? They're calling on him to be the surgeon that their touch would bring healing by the power of... It's just weird to me. Um, if I was a Christian, I would not take that oath. I'd say, I'm going to write my own. Okay? Or whatever. You can come up with another one, but there ain't going to be no Greek gods in it. I'm just saying. But does anybody here, or is this... Does anybody else think that this is strange, that this stuff is in our medical field? And this is it not strange that it's inundated in our higher education like that? It's a spirit. See, the Antichrist spirit, and that works with that Prince of Greece, that Antichrist spirit, Christ means the anointed one. You know what's inundated in American and European culture? is this mentality that if there's any other possible explanation for example if somebody came in and they were they were crippled and they got prayer and they walked out of here not crippled anymore you know their most people's mentality is well there's probably some kind of logical explanation most likely you know they really have that positive thinking going you know or maybe they were never really crippled in the first place. Maybe they just thought they were, you know. And once people came in there and really encouraged them, they just popped up out of that wheelchair. And, but there's like any other possible explanation, even where the explanations sound ridiculous, it's like as long as it's not the supernatural power of God. <laughs> you know, that, now that, that's weird, you know. Anything else, as bizarre as it sounds, and that type of mentality is a prince of Greece mentality it's an antichrist spirit and this is how strong it is in the church you ready whenever god comes down and begins to move in revival and with power all of a sudden all these little bobbleheads come up boing they come up that's of the devil that's not of god that there's no way that that's god that is a bunch of emotionalism and hype if there's any other possible explanation but it's not god it's not the supernatural power of god there is no way you see what i'm saying that's the prince of greece an antichrist spirit see christ means the anointed one and that anti-anointing spirit are y'all catching that that anti-anointing an anti-holy spirit anti-anointing anti-revival the prince of greece also manifests itself as i've already talked about with humanism and liberalism Humanism and liberalism are like this. They're just bonded together. But that liberal mentality, I will never forget. I, I'll be some old grandpa one day telling, I saw it, man. There was the, the Democratic Party booing God. Unbelievable. But it's a humanism, liberalism that has married itself to that antichrist spirit. It's an anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ. I don't want to go back into that too much because I already preached on it, but are you seeing how that prince of Persia is preparing the way for the false prophet to rise to power? And are you seeing how that prince of Greece is at work trying to prepare the groundwork of people's minds and prepare this, this anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible mentality 
It's trying to prepare for the rise of the Antichrist because ultimately what humanism says, man is the sum of all things. Man will fix everything. Man is the ultimate authority. And that's what they're going to look for in a man that rises to power that Satan will give his throne called the Antichrist. And they'll worship him. I believe that the prince of Greece, this is just my opinion, I'll just throw it out there, but I also believe it's very connected to the new age. And the reason why is because a lot of new age people, they actually do not believe in God. They believe that they are God and that there is a God within them. And there's all of these abilities and powers that they've never really tapped into within them. Meaning that if they could just tap into it, that through mental power, they could levitate things and they can they could maybe go to other places. And, and they, they think all of that is this godlike power within them. That's new age. But what they don't understand is all that they're doing is tapping into demons. That's it. That's all that that is. Any of those abilities that are supernatural that they're tapping into, 100% are demonic spirits. And I believe that that's going to be very strong when the Antichrist comes to power, that all these people will, that have been very like uh, atheist and you know type of people agnostic they don't know or whatever that they're going to start tapping into that new age mentality that they are a god within themselves all right so the antichrist it says in that statue that there's these 10 toes and then it also says that on the heads those seven heads that there's going to be 10 horns what that's going to be is 10 different kingdoms that are going to be under the Antichrist rulership. Probably what he will do when he comes to power is just like the false prophet united the religions and then used that platform to help the Antichrist come to power politically. Once he comes to political power, what he's going to do is he's going to unite the government's and the militaries of the world and he's going to create 10 different sections around the world and there'll be some kind of a ruler that he puts over them and he's going to rule the world for a time but that's the 10 toes or the 10 horns 10 kings 10 kingdoms so in other words he might merge what we know as america and canada and all of that into one principality if you will and put a ruler over it that is loyal to him and then maybe he'll go to central and south american mexico and and amalgamate that into one nation and put a ruler over that that's loyal to him and so this poses the question a lot of people are wondering about the antichrist about being a muslim or european leader um and then I'm going to close out after that with some stuff about River of Life. But I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Um, people wonder right now, is he going to be a Muslim? Let me just say this. It's possible. I don't personally think that in my personal opinion. But I'm not going to just slam the door and be totally closed-minded and say, there is no way. Because it, it could be. But I, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Throughout church history, the last 2,000 years... Did you know that the early church was convinced that Nero was the Antichrist? <laughs> they were totally convinced. And if you study history, Nero was a lunatic. He was crazy. 
And so, I mean, I can understand. And he, he, he tried to slaughter every Christian. Remember, you guys have at least know about the Colosseums where they took the Christians and fed them to the lions, right? Okay, that was Nero. And they would, they would dip them in oil and stick them up and light the streets, set them on fire and stuff. He hated Christians. So people thought Nero was the Antichrist. But now, 2,000 years later, we know Nero was actually not the Antichrist, right? But he was a picture and type of the Antichrist. I believe there's been many people down through history, like Hitler, that you can see that Antichrist spirit in them, and there's a lot of similarities. Antichrist, Epiphanes, Hadrian, there's been many. All right, so then, as the Catholic Church came to power and began to snuff out the gospel hunt down and kill true Christians and all that and the Protestant Reformation took place under Martin Luther in 1517 the early, they, those early Protestant you know, people really felt that whoever the Pope was at that time this is the Antichrist you know, <laughs> and that's just their mentality but we know that things have gone on since then and he's, whoever it was was not but there's always been this mentality to read into the times so whatever's going on right now, it's like, oh, well, that person's the Antichrist. That's the false prophet. This is how it's all going to play out. And then times change, and everybody realizes, well, actually, that wasn't really it. Another one was whenever the Crusades happened, the Muslims began to um, attack. And so the Catholic Church responded. And they held their crusades, which, which were horrible, and they were both sides were trying to force conversion. It's not good. But they felt that once those crusades went all the way to Jerusalem and they took Israel and they took Jerusalem, they thought, surely now the Lord will come. And some of them wore white, and they went up on the Mount of Olives, and they looked for Jesus' coming, and nothing happened. So what I'm saying is they, they, they read into the times of what was going on I wonder if people aren't doing the same thing. Because right now, the Muslims are just really raging with their terrorism, you know? And so I'm just trying to keep an open mind to the bigger picture that I'm just going to tell you this. The Antichrist will be a lot bigger than just Islam. Oh, you're hearing me? Okay. There's going to be a lot of places that are not Islamic. Um, you're not going to see Russia because it become Islamic. You're not going to see China become Islamic. I'm just telling you, it, it ain't gonna happen. You're, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of places that are not going to become Islamic. So when this Antichrist comes to power, if he's just a Muslim, he's just going to be ruling over a section of the world. You see what I'm saying? This is going to be a lot bigger than Islam, in my personal opinion. Now he he could be he could just be a the Antichrist is how many knows the Antichrist is going to be a weird dude? Okay, so probably people are going to be wondering, is he Muslim, Christian, all this? You know. So, um, I think that his rulership will be bigger than just Islam, and people have tended to read into the times what they think it will be. Let me, let me give you an example. Well, Israel will never trust a Muslim. See, the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel. Do you really think a raging Muslim is going to be sitting down with Netanyahu and signing a peace treaty, <laughs> or whoever the prime minister is? So, that's a whole other thing right there. But let me say this, though. Things can change pretty quickly. Uh, let me give you an example. Hitler, with his Nazi party, 
I mean, that seemed to be like that was going to possibly conquer the world. It was a real threat. I know a lot of people haven't studied how dangerous, but Hitler had alliances. He had alliances with Japan, for one, and he was really bent on conquering the world of his time, and it was very dangerous. He had already crippled, like, um, Austria and Poland and other places. He was, he was dominating. And, but I want you to think about this. Once World War II happened, this Nazi party that had been in power for so long and taken so much ground, it all changed overnight, really, didn't it? All of a sudden, all these Nazi party members were now war criminals on the run. And the whole landscape changed. My point is this. People thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And here's another thing. Israel, it wouldn't even take long, especially with God and prophecy taking place and God backing them up. But if Israel went to war with all the countries around them, which some people believe that they will, it's called the Psalm 83 war, that could be a serious uppercut to Islam. Think about it for a minute. The oil fields, all of the Islamic terrorists around them, from the Lebanon all the way around, if they conquered that, then let's say, let's just say hypothetically, that Psalm 83 war does happen, and they annihilate these, these enemies and take their oil fields. Now, all of a sudden, the finances that Islam had is really hindered. So now, that would make sense because the Gog War is Russia aligning themselves with the Islamic nations. So now, the Islamic nations are looking to Russia, and there's some kind of weird alliance. So now, Russia and Iran and, and the rest of these Islamic countries try to come down on Israel, and then God says, no fiery hailstones come down on them and annihilate them and and all of a sudden that's like a whole nother uppercut to islam and so what i'm trying to get at is this through warfare in the future what everybody's looking at going islam is a threat to the world the landscape could change it really could and all of a sudden, people are like, well, it's not as powerful as it used to be. In fact, a lot of the Muslims are wondering if their God's even real because the God of Israel seems to be slapping them around pretty good. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe, maybe he will be a Muslim. It, it could be, but I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of I think it's going to be a lot bigger than just Islam. And I think the false prophet is going to be uniting all the religions, not just trying to merge just islam with like some weird christian stuff it, it's going to be bigger than that it, it, see what i'm saying this is going to be a worldwide move of the devil all right and this is what i want to close with tonight i want everybody to please hear this and then we're going to pray and i believe the lord is really powerfully going to touch some people tonight i feel the presence of god really strong here i dealt a series I dealt with some spiritual warfare in a series a couple weeks back remember that we talked about the armor of God and all that well the Lord really showed me something he said Ephesians chapter 6 is the warfare teaching now I want you to remember this okay remember when you read Ephesians always remember this that the church in Ephesus was birthed in the fires of revival. It was a revival church. 
when Paul went into Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, remember I've preached on this many, many times, but there was a great revival, great revival. All of Asia heard the gospel. Handkerchiefs and aprons that touched Paul were sent out. Everywhere they went, people were getting healed and delivered. Major miracles and demons coming out of people. It was a radical move of God. Those that practice witchcraft and stuff were burning all their, their stuff publicly, coming to the faith, repenting. And so Ephesus was a church that was birthed in those great, that great move of God that Paul had. So it's interesting to me that Paul would teach the Ephesian church so much about spiritual warfare. It goes back to what I recently heard John Kilpatrick say. He said that when the Brownsville revival broke out, he said there was a major move of God, but he said there was also a move of the devil to oppose the move of God. And so that's what I think that Paul was trying to say. But isn't it interesting that Ephesians chapter 6, which deals with spiritual warfare, came after Ephesians chapter 5, which deals with your home being in order. Don't miss what I'm trying to tell you. Because I have seen more than once where people's home was out of order and the devil began to really squeeze that, that individual. And I mean, it was, it was an oppression that they had a very hard time coming out of. I've seen it. If you read Ephesians chapter 5, it was talking about the husband being the head of the home. And it was talking about a wife submitting unto the husband as unto the Lord. Now I'm saying, please hear me with all this. We're not living in a culture that is anything like this. America is not a submitting culture. There's a lot of rebellion. There's a lot of that Prince of Greece. There's a lot of that Antichrist nonsense out there and it's not a submitting culture so you're going to have to love Jesus enough to go against the grain against the flow of society to have a home in order nowadays and possibly be made fun of about it but the, the husband was to be the head of the home meaning that he made the decisions the wife was to submit under his authority the Bible says, as unto the Lord. That's a strong level of submission. And to reverence her husband, meaning to show respect to her husband, not to belittle and tear him down, you know, mock him in front of the kids, stuff like that. That's, that's evil. Yeah, that grieves the Holy Spirit. But to submit unto him as unto the Lord, and then for children to obey and honor their parents. And I've done a study on this. It's in my books. I don't remember the exact Greek word, but the Greek word, and you guys have probably read it, actually, that are doing the, the challenge with the youth. But the Greek word for a wife submitting implies that she's willingly doing it, that it doesn't have to be forced, you know. But the Greek word where it says children obey your parents, it's saying that Greek word there is implying that they have to obey their parents or there's going to be consequences. Like they, it's forced. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So there's two different Greek words here, but it has the same implication to come under authority. So whenever homes are in order, there's a protection there. But when homes are out of order, it is a major open door for spiritual attack. 
God operates through lines of authority. We may not always understand the authority and understand some of the decisions they make, but God still operates through authority. Now, I'm going to tell you how it works. God knows that we're human beings, people that are in authority, and he knows that we don't know everything. So there may be some times that we, as leaders, may not always make the absolute best perfect decision, but you know what? God's bigger than that. And God's going to come down and go, you know what? They love me and they're trying, so I'm just going to fix it for them real quick. God's in charge, okay? He can take care of We just need to stay underneath that authority because that's, that's where there's protection from the satanic. And the power of rebellion, I'm telling you, rebellion is serious. What I feel like God is saying <clears throat> to River of Life is this. There's something big coming, guys. There's something big in a good way that's coming to River of Life and to this nation. <clears throat> I believe there's a tremendous revival. That's why in my spirit, even though things have happened in the nation, my inner spirit man, for whatever reason, is just rejoicing. I'm serious. I, I, I don't know why, but I just feel this anticipation. Like it really isn't going to matter. Right? God is coming. And when he comes, man, everything's going to change. You know, the power of God will come down. And that's what I feel inside me. I feel like God's coming. And I feel he's coming to River of Life. I believe he's probably coming to many other places. But he's coming here, guys. He's coming. All of this is just preparation. He's coming, for real coming. And there's going to be a major move of God that's going to hit our ministry, but it's going to hit all of America, and there's going to be probably many other places seeing major moves of God as well. But what I feel the Lord saying is this, that we've got to make sure our homes are in order and it's serious. And also, God right now is trying to fix the issues in everybody. He's trying to fix all the issues in people. If there's been unhealed wounds, if there's been fears, if there's been lust issues, if whatever it is, God is trying to come in right now and deal with those things and really heal and cleanse people so that when the move of God comes and then Satan's counter move comes, you're going to be just fine. That's what God's doing right now. And he's big enough to finish it. What does the Bible say? He that began a good work in me, what? He'll finish it. Amen? Yeah, he's big enough to do it, isn't he? The work that Jesus did on Calvary is enough. It's thorough. It's complete. So here's what I'm saying. <clears throat> in this area, there's been a major attack in the spirit realm that has to do with what I call religious witchcraft, but it's a religious spirit and then witchcraft control, and it's merged. And what you see is a lot of disorder. Please hear me. You see a lot of homes that are out of order. You see a lot of churches that are out of order. And because they're out of order, the enemy is able to come in and cause a lot of problems. That's why sometimes Pastor Scott has been pretty stern about certain people and certain things. You cannot have that stuff and tolerate it. I'm telling you, it, it can really destroy a church. It really can. You cannot put up with it. So things have got to be in order. There can't be rebellion. Rebellion can't be tolerated. And so when, when things are in order, there's a protection. Number two, there's been a lot of division in this area, a lot of strife and division. In homes, people fighting, divorce, 
um, family alienation, things like that. But in the church, a lot of division and people that sow division. And then also there's been a lot of dishonor and disrespect shown. I know that grieves the Holy Spirit. So let me, I'm gonna read 1 Peter 3 and then we'll pray, but I want people to really pray about this. Think about what I'm saying. Because for us to be effective for the kingdom and to be protected, we've got to be a people that are going to be aligned properly in God's authority, his kingdom authority. We've got to be in unity. And we've got to show proper honor and respect. Because when things are out of order, there's division, and there's all this dishonor and disrespect, Satan's kingdom traffics through that picture right now the presence of God is here I'm sure there's angelic beings but picture the presence of God gone and demonic spirits trafficking through here is that what anybody wants of course not but you get out of order and start allowing rebellion and start allowing a bunch of fighting to go on and division and start dishonoring and disrespecting people it won't be too long there's been some places that the power of God has come so strong and then there was that counter move of the devil. And I've heard preachers say that they went back years later to preach at the same church. The power of God was amazing when they first came. And they say it was like a totally different church. It was dead. And the people, people seemed like they were worn out. And he, I've heard preachers talk about it. What happened? Well, what happened was that counter move of the devil came and things were not probably in order properly. You've got to be wise and careful who you let in positions of authority. And you've got to make sure and keep things in order. And if people aren't going to go along with that, then they just don't need to be around. Amen. There's got to be order, unity, honor, and respect. And God will draw in the masses when his time comes. How many times have we read in history where there was a small group of people praying and seeking God, and then God came, exploded revival, and then this harvest? That's what's about to happen. I'm telling you, God's about to come, guys. He's about to come. And a harvest is going to start coming in. All right, so let me read this and then we'll pray. First Peter 3, 1. In the same way, he's talking about order in your home. He said, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, meaning that they're unsaved, or maybe they're not even, maybe here you could read into that saying they're just not living the way they should. You know, I may be a Christian, but they've got some things in their life. He says here, that they may be won over without a word by your behavior as wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I've known over the years, I've been in the ministry long enough now that I've seen it. I've seen sometimes where there's a guy that won't come to church, but his wife does. But whenever she's at church, she's just bad-mouthing him. Oh, he's a waste of this and that, just bad-mouthing, bad-mouthing. Well, number one is, he probably doesn't think that she's a real Christian and he probably thinks to himself, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. Look at the way she treats me. Amen? And then number two, he's probably thinking, why would I go to a church where I've been so bad-mouthed and everybody thinks I'm the scum of the earth? So, you know, some of these rebellious, disrespectful wives can be one of the biggest hindrances to their husbands actually coming to the faith if they would obey the Bible. 
It says here, treat them with respect, you know, so that they could be won over when they see your chaste and respectful behavior to them. Number three, your adornment. Let's not merely be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold and jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, which is imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And you will become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. See, Paul and Peter knew that fear is the reason a lot of times people won't submit to authority. Did y'all catch that? Fear. We got to have faith. Amen. Live by faith. Number seven says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Did you know there's some people that they pray and pray and pray about things? God loves them, but they're not getting answered prayers. And they wonder why they're not getting answered prayers. Is there division, dishonor, and disrespect and stuff in your marriage because that can actually cause prayers to not get answered? So he says to sum it up, all of you being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit not returning evil for evil that's the thing somebody lashes out at you they had a bad day don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing that's what I was talking about being a peacemaker you know somebody else may have a bad day and be taking it out on you or whatever but just a soft answer turning away wrath and being a peacemaker calm the thing down the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet think about that scripture I love that scripture your shoes are supposed to be the armor is supposed to be shoes of peace so your walk your shoes should be in peace and that peace as you walk in the peace of God and you're a peacemaker in that place of order and unity you can crush Satan under your feet but it's when all that strife and that fighting and that contention's going on, the devil's kingdom is just trafficking. Prayers are not getting answered. There's a heavy, oppressive atmosphere. It's not something you want in your home, and it's not something you want in your church. So remember, Ephesians chapter 5 preceded Ephesians chapter 6. The Lord was saying, make sure your home's in order because of the warfare that's coming. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to pray for people tonight. I'm here hungry for a fresh touch from the Lord. And then we'll go out and do a little bit of witnessing tonight and meet up and have some good food fellowship. I have felt the last couple of days, I felt just a different, different anointing, a different presence of the Lord very strong but Lord we thank you for your presence I feel so strong up here but we pray tonight release that anointing revival's coming man it's coming I can feel it a great awakening to this nation a great harvest of souls 
But Lord, we want to be ready. We don't want to have a home that's out of order and then give any place to the devil. We want to make sure everything is the way it's supposed to be. I want you to quietly play that iPod, but just keep it real low right now. I've been feeling something about this this specific playlist here with Brownsville. I've been feeling God releasing that into our church. Just a fresh touch. But anyway, let's go ahead and get ready to pray. God's about to really touch some people tonight. I felt it begin last night. How many of you guys were here last night and you felt felt that? Did y'all y'all feel? Man, it was strong. It was like Brianna says she felt like there was fire on the floor. It felt that way. It's here tonight. And it's about to increase. Let's go ahead and, and if you would maybe start stacking a few chairs so we can pray for everybody. Thanks, Beverly. 